We've been going through our We Believe series, what we believe as a four-square church, and this one is called the Eternal Godhead, a.k.a. the Trinity. If we could put it up on the screen, we're going to read it. It goes for a while. But say it with me. We believe that there is but one true and living God, maker of heaven and earth, and all that is in them, the Alpha and Omega, whoever was and is and shall be, time without end. Amen. That He is infinitely holy, mighty, tender, loving and glorious, worthy of all possible love and honor, confidence and obedience, majesty, dominion and might, both now and forever. And that in the unity of the Godhead there are three equal in every divine perfection, executing distinct but harmonious offices in the great work of redemption. Take a big breath. The Father, say it with me, whose glory is so exceedingly bright that mortal man cannot look upon his face and live, but whose heart was so filled with love and pity for his lost and sin-benighted children that he freely gave his only begotten Son to redeem and reconcile them unto himself, the Son co-existent and co-eternal with the Father who conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary took upon Himself the form of man, bore our sins, thank You, Lord, carried our sorrows and by the shedding of His precious blood upon the cross of Calvary purchased redemption for all that would believe upon Him. Then, bursting the bonds of death and hell, rose from the grave and ascended on high, leading captivity captive. Yeah! That as the great mediator between God and man, He might stand at the right hand of the Father making intercession for those for whom He laid down His life. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, the Spirit of the Father, shed abroad, omnipotent, omnipresent, performing an inexpressibly important mission upon earth, convicting of sin, of righteousness, of uh, judgment, drawing sinners to the Savior, rebuking, pleading, searching, comforting, quickening, teaching, glorifying, baptizing, and enduing with power from on high those who yield to His tender ministration, preparing them for the great day of the Lord's appearing. That's what we believe, church. So this morning we're going to be going to school a little bit. I love topics like these. They get my brain going. They get me thinking. The problem with topics like this is they can turn into four-hour sermons. I promise you I'm not going to do that today. I'm I'm trying my best. I'm cutting it down. Uh, Only two hours. So, so, So you're welcome. But I want to go through a few things that I think God would really want us to learn and and take from today. I'm going to focus on two main points. Uh, Again, they're kind of big points, but I'm not going to cover all of it. But the Trinity... And a biblical truth that I believe is birthed from the idea of the Trinity, which is the Incarnation. So, kind of big topics, but we're going to get through it. So, let's start with the Trinity. Trinity, uh, some of you maybe never even heard a sermon on the Trinity. Well, this is a biggie. The Trinity, this is important stuff. It's an important belief uh, to us as Christians. And yet, if you've thought about the Trinity, it's one that we have yet to completely figure out, right? Anybody else? It's just like, okay. I'm trying to you know, figure it out, and then you kind of think you have it figured out, and then you realize you have no clue. But uh, more than anything, I, I just want us to see today that there is a mystery to the Trinity. But yet, even in its mystery, it is essential to our faith. We just sang the song, God in Three Persons, the Blessed Trinity. Mysterious, truthful, boldly, repeatedly proclaimed by Scripture. I really wanted to have the Trinity figured out as a kid. I mean, I really did. Like all of it. 
And so I was asking questions all the time. In fact, I just drove my parents nuts because I was always asking these questions. As, as a parent, when you have the kind of kid that asks those kind of deep theological questions, you, you answer for the first 20 or 30 minutes, and eventually you're just like, just trust God. You know, just, just, just pray to Him. You know, that kind of thing. So I would ask questions like, so there's one God. And they're like, well, yeah, there's one God. Well, then who is God, right? Is, is, is the Father, Son, or the Holy Spirit God? And, and they'd be like, they all are. Okay, so there's three gods. No, no, there's only one God. But you just said there's Father God, Son God, Holy Spirit God. It sounds like three to me. Well, well, it's three persons but one God. One God? Yep, one God. Was well, Jesus God? Yeah. Is the Father God? Of course. Is the Holy Spirit God? You bet. So there's three gods. Nope, just one God. Three persons. Ah! Right? It, it, it's just this truth that has a certain mystery to it. I think one of the best ways to show this is with a diagram. And we're going to try this out. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But um, here we go. So we got... Got to pick out my right thing here. Let's see here. Did it work? All right. So we got the father. I got a B minus in penmanship. So this is stressful. And then we got the son. And then... Down here, we got high school. (laughs) So here's the deal. The father is not the son. The son, he is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the father. But the father is God. The son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. So I don't think that goes into any deeper theological ideas other than it's a good representation for me. And this, by the way, was invented like 500 years, long time ago. Um, it's just the idea that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father, but the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Okay? God, three persons, blessed Trinity. One of the main things I want to highlight for us today is the importance of the Trinity. More than anything, is that the Trinity shows that the God whom Jesus came to this earth to reveal is relational in nature. That's a thought I really want us to get today. At the heart of the gospel message is a relationship between the three persons, and it's a relationship that exudes life. There's this abundant life in the Trinity, a life that is rooted in the love that the Father and the Son have enjoyed from eternity past in, with, and through the Holy Spirit. The life of God. The life of God is of everlasting love, joy unspeakable, peace that passes understanding. And you discover the eternal characteristics and the attributes of God. You discover them in the context of this relationship. And the good news for us, and this is good news this morning, is that God, He is so abounding in life that it is His passionate goal to share that life with us. Amen. So what did He do? He sent His Son. His Son for the purpose of taking on our humanity, cleansing us by His crucifixion, giving us new life by His resurrection, and by His glorious ascension, lifting us up into relationship with the triune God. I want you to think about what I just said. These are amazing truths. This is huge. This is a big deal. The life of God has always been one of relationship 
between persons. There is no God except God who eternally exists as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons in a community of perfect love, perfect unity, and common purpose. God has enjoyed this communion of love through all eternity, passionately longs to include all of us, including you, into this fellowship. And in Christ, we hear the voice of the Father saying, through the Spirit, I have always wanted a son. I have always wanted a daughter just like you. And to fulfill this relationship, this passion to be in relationship with you and with me, He sent His Son to become incarnate as a man, to die for our sins on the cross, to rise from the dead and for everyone who believes in Jesus and repents to be accepted into eternal fellowship with Him. Amen? Amen. That's what we believe. God in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I hope you realize it's more than a doctrinal statement. It's the reality of the yearnings of a relational God to include you in that relationship. There is some good news in the house this morning. Now, hopefully, as you mature in your faith, questions would arise about God. Questions would arise about His nature and about His characteristics. As you discover more about who He is, there should be questions like, who is Jesus, right? Who is this Holy Spirit? Who is the Father? Ask these questions, please. Ask questions. Do serious study. Dive into Scripture and allow the Word of God to speak to you and to teach you. I cannot cover all of the Scriptures today, but I'm not even going to try, but I did want to include a few, just read a few that might answer some of our questions. In regards to Jesus as the Son of God, John 1, we read this last week. I want to read it again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and within. without Him has not anything made that was made. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Who are they talking about there? Jesus. Jesus. The Word. Jesus was God. Colossians 2.9 For in Him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Aha! So there must be two gods, right? Father God and Son God. But John 10, verse 30 says, I, this is Jesus again, I and the Father are what? One. Don't forget the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is referenced again and again in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 13, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Matthew 28, 19, you know this one. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in what? The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3, 16, 17. I love this one in regards to this idea of the Trinity. I think this is a beautiful representation. Jesus, when He was baptized, immediately He went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened up to Him and He saw the Spirit of God. He saw the Holy Spirit descending upon Him like a dove coming to rest upon Him. And behold... A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son. Who's saying that, by the way? The Father. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. But then is the Holy Spirit really God? I, I, I've thought about that. Is, is the Holy Spirit really God? Absolutely. You bet. There's several verses that show you this, but my favorite one is actually during one of the more troubling passages in the New Testament. This passage kept me up at night as a kid. Oh my goodness, as a people pleaser who tried to follow all the rules, this one stressed me out. You remember Ananias and Sapphira? (laughs) But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife Sapphira, Sapphira, sold a piece of property with his wife's knowledge. 
He kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to who? God. You lie to the Holy Spirit. You lie to God. As you read the Bible, you see there is one God, three persons. We don't have it all figured out, but Scripture tells us one God, three persons. Now, by us saying this and saying that we believe in this triune God, in turn, we're also denying other beliefs, uh, other beliefs that might exist today in regards to who God is. I don't want to spend a long time on this, but I want to address it briefly. That means we don't believe in the Star Wars God, the uh, use the force Luke. Um, sorry, Adam Hoffman, if you're here. Um, I love the movie, though. It's a great movie. Uh, we don't believe in pantheism, which would be that everything is God. Uh, we, we wouldn't believe that God has unfolded Himself sequentially through different time periods. In this view, it would be God coming out first as the Father, for example, in one dispensation, and then coming out as Jesus, and then now He would be revealing Himself as the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't believe in subordinationism. And subordination, just the, what, what I just said, that word, that's the idea, is just that there's ranks, levels of deity, that God the Father would be kind of the, you know, the big God or whatever, the head honcho, and then below Him is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The New Testament, I just read it, affirms that Jesus, the fullness of God, bodily dwells in Christ, and that the eternal Spirit, the Holy Spirit, eternal, with us forever, with the Father and Son together to be worshipped and glorified. Another idea, this is actually common amongst a lot of Pentecostals, is modalism. Maybe you've heard of that before. Uh, according to this idea, the name, so the name's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, these are just merely facets, as it were, of a single gemstone. These are manifestations of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're mere ripples on the ocean, uh, on the surface of God's deeper presence, God's deeper existence. And these three persons of the Godhead, they're just temporary stages shining forth from God's essential oneness. So they don't, the fa- so these names, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they don't ultimately reveal God at His inmost self. They don't believe that Father, Son, Holy Spirit are meant to reveal the fact that at His very being, God is triune, that God is one God in three persons. No, they are just modes or stages on display of God's oneness. Um, that's, again, pretty common in Pentecostals. But we do not believe this. And, and with that theology, you miss the point of Scripture that describes an eternal relationship that I was just describing, an eternal relationship that exists between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, an eternal loving relationship, not just some passing phase of the life of God. And then tritheism. Uh, We've been accused of tritheism as a church that believes in the Trinity, and that would just be simply the worshiping of three gods. And, And that flies in the face of biblical revelation, right? Behold, Israel, hear the Lord your God. He is one. But we can be accused of that because kind of the questions that I was talking about when I had the questions I had as a kid, right? God in three persons. That three persons part. It can get people confused. I, I don't even still know. I, I wrestle with it. I, I'm trying to figure it out. I still haven't figured it out. As a kid, this is the one that drove my dad nuts. Yeah, like the three persons. Like what is going on there with these three persons? The Bible clearly reveals three persons in the Trinity, but... We as humans, and I'll just take myself here for example, this is how I think. We, we tend to think of these persons as having a nature in some measure to myself. So we assume personhood, or I assume personhood, to be this rugged individual, right? Individualistic person. 
and, and sin clouds my thinking, so I cannot conceive of three persons of one substance, power, and eternity perfectly loving one another, working in complete cooperation, working in complete love and mutual submission. We, we can't think that way because here's the deal. I'm just going to be honest. I've never seen three humans operate in this way. Because of our pride, because of our individualism, we would immediately destroy the purity of that kind of relationship. But yet God is absolutely holy, blameless. We sang to Him without fault, which means His nature is profoundly different than ours, incomprehensible to us. So when we try to describe the mystery of this community of these persons that exist within the Trinity, we're always going to come up short. And we distort the biblical revelation into some form of heresy. I, I end up doing this. The longer I talk about the Trinity, the, the better the chances I just say something that is not true. Either we absorb the three persons into just one person, or we go the other extreme and now we have these three independent gods. And guess what, church? Either one, they're wrong. It's one God, three persons. And as much as it drives me up the wall, we must admit that there is a mystery to it. As much as we try to describe it, we find that we cannot. You know, I love the creeds of the early church. The early church, they had to honestly wrestle with Scripture. There was debates, arguments, disagreements, factions, dissension, fights. There's some burning at the stakes that you find that are pretty exciting. Finally, they put down on paper what they believed. And one of those is the Nicene Creed. It's a wonderful example. Before we read it, I wanted to read a quote from my favorite book. It's Foundations of Pentecostal Theology by Duffield and Van Cleve. The hilarious thing about this being my favorite book is that my brother is actually one of the editors that is redoing this book. So, he better do it well. But this is what they write about these creeds. I think this is very good. These creeds and confessions rightly do not attempt to remove the mystery of the Trinity or to reconcile the scriptural statements with finite reasoning. The compilers tried to include all that scripture teaches about the three persons of the Trinity without any effort to show how God can be both one and three. So the creed, it doesn't try to explain it. It just, share, it just highlights and shows what scripture has to say about who God is. And so this is the Nicene Creed. I mean, we're talking 1500s here. You want to read it with me? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, 
who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. That's awesome stuff there. I love that. Yet again, there's a mystery to it all, but that's what we believe. And by the way, as much as it drives me up the wall, if I'm really honest, I love that there's a mystery to it. I don't think I did the first 30 years of my life. In my attempt to get all the answers right in school and being a science major, you know, in science, the idea is eventually you're going to be able to figure it out. But the older I get, I find there's a beauty to the mystery of God. I mean, don't you love that there's a God who says in Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. The heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I love that we serve a God who is higher and mightier, more awesome, and just flat out greater than we could ever imagine. So there you go. That's a 20-minute synopsis on the Trinity. And I love that kind of stuff. I've actually been reading a book. I'd encourage you. Um, this is a great one. It's, it's kind of like Christianity for Dummies. It's called Christian History Made Easy. And they kind of talk a lot about um, the creeds and, and, and things like that. Um, if you want to borrow that book, uh, go ahead. But when you go through all these kinds of theological things, and when I, when I preach these messages, you, you guys know this, but always at the end of my study, I ask the question, so what? <laughs> Right? So what? Who cares? What's the big deal? God in three persons. Great. And to close, I just want to give you two reasons why it matters, why the Trinity matters. First of all, I've already mentioned this, but the Trinity shows us that God has eternally existed in the context of relationship, a relationship that is full of perfect love and submission. And this God of relationship desires each one of us to be included in that relationship. Listen to this. This is uh, Jesus talking in John chapter 14. He says, before long, the world's not going to see me anymore. But hey, you, disciple, you're going to see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you're going to recognize and realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. I always kind of want that one to be drawn on a whiteboard, like I am in you, and you are in me, and I am in the Father, and then whoever loves the Father, and then no, anyway, maybe that's just me, but it gives me sight. So it's kind of messy. Uh, it kind of confusing, and I think it's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to show you that we are all mixed together in this relationship. That as we turn to Jesus Christ, as we put our faith in Him as Lord and Savior, as we are hidden in Christ, we enter into this relationship, this eternal relationship that has existed between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's number one. Number two, the Trinity shows us who Jesus really is. And it's important to me, it is oh so very important to me as your pastor that you know who Jesus is. Jesus matters to this church. At LifeSpring, Jesus matters. We say that we are a one-trick pony, that all our eggs are what? In one basket. His name is Jesus. We love Jesus. But it's actually important to know who this Jesus is that we say that we love so much. If we're going to spend so much time talking about Him in this church, we've got to know who He is. And I think this discussion on the Trinity, this is what fires me up, is I think the Trinity actually allows us to understand a little deeper who Jesus is. I know it does for me because this description of the Trinity, we find Jesus described as God. Jesus is God the Son. And it's this God the Son who came to earth. And when He came to earth, we call this the incarnation. Anybody ever heard of the word Incarnation. 
It's not the evaporated milk place. It's, we're, we're, <laughs> that's carnation. This is incarnation. The incarnation, we believe the embodiment of God the Son is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. His name is Jesus. But as you read about Jesus in the Gospels, Jesus was a man. He was born, by, he was born as a baby, right? Manger in Bethlehem. Hopefully you've asked this question before. If Jesus is a real human being, then how can we say that He is also God? Well, first of all, you've got to understand that the Bible teaches us that God the Son became a human being. The Son, who shared life throughout all eternity with the Father and Holy Spirit, that Trinity. And it was God the Son who entered into the stream of humanity and the particular human life of a first century Palestinian Jew from Nazareth named Jesus. God the Son came to earth and they called Him Jesus. God's will was to take on our humanity and then through death and resurrection lift us up to heaven. And listen to this. Since the Son of God, after taking on human flesh, will remain eternally a man, this gives me goosebumps, humanity is now irrevocably linked with the life of God. In other words, He has taken hold of our humanity and He's never letting go. Hallelujah. We are united with God in Christ. By grace, we've been adopted into this life of the triune God because God the Son became man and is eternally a man and He's reconciled us back to the Father. So here's some essential truths from the Bible about the incarnation. You're not going to have time to probably uh, write all these down. Uh, I'm going to go through them kind of fast. If you want to look at my notes afterwards, you can. Number one, God's Son existed from eternity. That's important. The Father did not become flesh. The Son did. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is Himself God is in closest relationship with the Father, has made Himself known. The Son of God came from heaven to earth. Number two, the Father's love for us is the primary reason His Son came to earth. The Father's love. Remember that. Your Father in heaven, He loves you. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son... This is incredible. God did not send His Son into this world to condemn the world, but to what? Save the world through Him. That's love, my friends. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Number three, God's Son willingly offered Himself to fulfill the Father's purpose. Listen to this about Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ He is the Lord to the glory of God the Father it's important for us to see that the Father did not compel an unwilling Son to come and save us the Son joyfully came because He longed to bless His Father and to have fellowship with those who would believe number four God's Son truly became human this is important He didn't just appear to be human Hebrews 2, 14 since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. 
For surely it is not angels He helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, He had to be made like them, fully human. Say fully human. Fully human in every way, in order that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that He might make atonement for the sins of His people, because He Himself suffered when He was tempted... Hallelujah, He is able to help those who are being tempted. He had to become one of us to die as our substitute. He had to share our weakness and experience our temptations. He had to truly die just as we die. That's what Revelations 1.17 tells us. When I saw Him, John tells us, I fell at His feet as though dead. Then He placed His right hand on me and He said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. I was dead. But now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. He was dead, but he's not dead any longer. He is alive forever and ever. Number five, the conception of God's son was a miracle performed by the Holy Spirit. The virgin birth, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the son of God. Mary provided the egg. The Holy Spirit caused it to be conceived in a totally non-sexual miracle. You know what that means? That Jesus is both the eternal Son of God and the human Son of Mary. Again, a profound mystery and a profound truth. Number six, at the incarnation, God's Son became a man. He is now a resurrected man and will be forsoever, or will be so forever. After he said this, Acts 1.9 tells us he was taken up. This is Jesus, taken up right before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white, they stood right next to Next to them started talking, men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking up into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, he's going to come back in the same way you have seen him go up into heaven. He is truly and fully God and he is truly and fully man. Number seven, and this is important, God's son, Jesus Christ, he will be worshipped forever with the Father. Again, Revelation, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city, it doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. God the Son, the second member of the Trinity, He came to earth to give us the opportunity to experience the abundant life that only God can give. Church, I want us to understand that there is a relationship that God longs for us to enter into. A relationship that has existed for eternity and He desires for us to enter into that relationship. And He has made a way for us by God the Son coming to earth, being the perfect sacrifice for our sins. By believing in Him, we can take part in that perfect relationship forever. And by the way, I kind of thought this as a kid, but the longer I'm living by the Spirit, I realize... That, that relationship does not start when you die. It starts the moment that you ask Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior. At that moment, He comes into your life. And the Bible says you are radically changed. Scripture tells us we're born again. That we're given a new life, a new creation. Reconciled back to God. Now in relationship with the God of the universe. And it's my passion that every one of you in this room would know this God personally and intimately as you would walk with Jesus, that you would be daily filled with the Spirit, and that the fruit of that relationship, the fruit of that relationship would actually overflow into others. That your relationship with God, church, 
that it would actually make a difference in this community. Right? That the idea that we are in this relationship with God and the fruit of that relationship would actually influence this community. That knowing God would change our lives where everyone around us would take notice. That because of our relationship with God, we would grow in love. We'd grow in grace, mercy. We'd grow in our patience, in our kindness, in our joy. That our relationship with God would influence every part of our being and that the overflow of that relationship would be that you would be a witness to this world of God's goodness. And church, I pray that there would be an overflow of boldness as well, like Kylie had up on this stage, to invite others into the beauty and the splendor of this relationship with God. I actually want to be so bold today to take time to invite you into that relationship. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I've walked with Him. I've talked with Him. And life is hard. And then it gets harder. There's pain. There's suffering. There's heartache. There's deep sorrow. There's agony. And there are trials. But I know that I'm walking through it all with Christ in me, the hope of glory, giving me help. I know that the Holy Spirit is giving me the strength that I need when I am weak. And that the Father is resourcing me with the gifts that I need from above. And I also have experienced the joy that the Lord gives me even when my heart is in despair. I am confident that I am walking hidden in Christ where Christ has covered me and made me clean. He's brought me into a relationship with the Father. And for those of you that do not have that relationship, you have never asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. You want to have that relationship. You want to be in communion with God. You want that life that will exist forever in relationship with God. If that's you, I'd love to lead you in a prayer asking Him to come into your life. So I'm going to ask the ushers to actually pass out the communion element. And as they pass it out, I am going to read a couple of scriptures in regards to communion. But again, if you are not a Christian, you would like to make that commitment to the Lord today. I'd like to give you that opportunity before we receive communion. You're so real in this place today, Lord. Mm. Thank you, God. Who am I that you would... Think of me, Lord. The God of the universe would call me friend. We are humbled by you today, Lord. Your grace, your unmerited favor shakes us to our core. Pray with me. If there's anyone here with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if there's anyone here that has yet to enter into that relationship with God, a relationship that would begin the moment you accept Him as your Lord and Savior, if that's you and you want to enter into that relationship, will you just raise your hand? I can see you. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. I see both of you. Praise the Lord. Well, we're
we're going to pray. And if everyone would actually repeat after me, we'll just all pray it together. Lord God, I give you my life. I surrender my ways. And today, I say your will be done. Lord, today, I say take my life and let it be yours. Lord, I desire to be in relationship with you. Please forgive me of my sins. I repent of my ways. I look forward to new life in you. Amen. Amen. Can we just celebrate? I know you got the cup. It's hard to clap, but just shout or hoot or something. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. I hope you see the joy of the Lord in this passage. He so desired for his disciples to be with him. That when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Look at the passion he has for each one of us. This is my body, and it's for you. This is my body. It is for you. It is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Because of your love for us, Lord. Because of your great love for us, God. He took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you, Lord. There's life in the blood of Jesus. Abundant life in the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Have communion with you, Lord. Fellowship with the God of the universe. God in three persons. Bless the Trinity. We adore you, Father. Praise you, Son. We invite you, Holy Spirit, three in one. For you are good, and you are faithful, and your promises endure forever. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's life in this house this morning. Be encouraged. Even if everything you've done up to this point has seemed to cause rubble and destruction, even if everything you've done up to this point has seemed to only end up in death. I just want to let you know there is life in the house this morning. There is a life that came from God the Son coming to this earth and dying for our sins and forgiving us of our sins and giving us eternal life, eternal fellowship with Him. So would you stand with us? We're going to sing to the Lord that there is life in this place because of Jesus. Jesus.